you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll open your Bibles up to the book of Daniel, we are going to uh, spend some time here in the book of Daniel. Um, I have planned several messages, but we will see, um, we'll see how far we go in the book of Daniel. We, we may get to uh, strange prophecies of uh, beasts with horns and various things, or we may not. Um, we'll see. Um, the goal for today um, is really to cover chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. Now, we could spend, and rightfully so, we could spend a whole sermon, a whole morning, just introducing this book, its, its place in history, what was going on uh, during this time. And it, it is important to know those things. And what I'm going to try to do is, as we go throughout these studies, to weave um, some of that in. Um, what you need to know as we open this book, and, and you'll see as we get into the, the first couple verses, is that th- these were dark times in the lives of God's people. These were hard times. Uh, the, the, people, the people of Judah, from the tribe of Judah, uh, I, I think uh, probably thought that God had forsaken them. That, that all is lost, and that these were times of great despair. And so what we're going to see as we go through this book, and what we see as we study the book of Daniel, is that our God is a God of hope. He's a personal God. He's sovereign, and He cares for His people. So you may be asking, why Daniel and why now? Uh, one reason would be is that this book is extremely, extremely relevant to where we are in our day and age. Uh, Living in a culture uh, that is uh, quickly going into a way where we're asked to, as Christians, to stand and to be aliens in this world, to be countercultural, and how to navigate those waters. This book gives us a really good picture on how to do that. Uh, Peter tells us um, in the New Testament that we are aliens in this world. Another reason why Daniel, why now, is because Daniel's God, and this is the point that I really want you to understand, the God of Daniel, the God of Daniel is your God if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And our God doesn't change. And so as we go throughout this book and we see the wondrous works of God in the hearts and minds of the people in this book, I want you to get. I want your vision of God to expand. Um, the last reason of why Daniel, why now, is in a couple of weeks, our young people at Vacation Bible School uh, will be studying uh, "Cool in the Furnace" or "Cool in the Heat." I should know this. Um, and and the, Ruby was already doing the hand motions back there. Um, and so, so, so what's going to happen is our kids are going to be learning uh, the, the, about Daniel's three friends uh, and about what they did and what got them put in the fiery furnace. And I'm wanting to equip us as a church and to equip you as parents uh, to be able to talk with your kids about what they're learning in vacation Bible school in a couple weeks. And so, so I think it's important. Now, there's a problem sometimes with, I think, how we study uh, the Old Testament. And, and not only the Old Testament, sometimes the New Testament as well. 
And the problem that, that, that I want to avoid, and I want to help us avoid as adults and kids, as you go to VBS, the problem that I want to help you avoid is, is one of the ways in which we look at particularly books like Daniel, where we look in this book and we make heroes out of Daniel, out of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, certainly these were great men of God, and we're going to see a little later on what about these men do we need to emulate. But sometimes when we look at the Old Testament, we make heroes out of the figures, and, we, and, and it terminates there. We never go beyond the person to look at the bigger picture, which is God. The hero of the Bible is God. The Bible is about God. The book of Daniel is clearly about God. You're going to see throughout this book, as Daniel is writing this book, Never does Daniel take credit for things. Never does his three friends take credit for some of the bold stances that they take. Always, Daniel is pushing us to see the great God that he serves. In fact, in fact, one of the things that's really that blows my mind about this is that as, as they are in captivity in Babylon, a pagan culture... Um, we see two times, there's three kings mentioned in the uh, Babylonian kings that are mentioned. And twice, we get these kings uh, doing something that's just amazing in my mind. The first time is in Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 34. Notice this. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, the king of Babylon... Raise my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I look at this, this is miraculous. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but He does according to His will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand. Oh, say to him, what, or say to him, what have you done? Later, later in the book, we have Darius in chapter 6, in verse 26 and 27. Uh, again, a Babylonian pagan king. And notice what he says. I make my decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom... Men, listen to this, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions." One of the things we see throughout this book, it is obvious that as Daniel is writing this book, he is showing us this great big God who has plans that are beyond anybody's imagination. That as Daniel is, is, uh, knows the Word of God, as Daniel is praying to God, and as God is speaking to Daniel, he is showing him these things that are just mind-boggling. And in the deepest, darkest 
time in Judah's history, we see this great, merciful, sovereign, personal, gracious God showing up. And not only is it encouraging the people of God, but God is making a name for Himself amongst the nations that will ultimately be fulfilled later in history. So, so when we look at studying this book, we don't emulate Daniel in just his characteristic traits. We have to know that Daniel's confidence, his boldness, the stance that he takes, doesn't come from just within him. It comes from knowing the God that he serves. And so as we look at this book, my hope and my expectations is that our vision of God gets bigger so that as we work our way throughout this world, as we go to work, as we raise kids, as we live as aliens in this culture, that we can have a boldness, a confidence, and a security that doesn't crumble when things around us seem like they're crumbling, but that boldness and confidence comes from God. So, let's jump in and let's look at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, what we're going to see, if you know um, Old Testament history, what we see is that there, old, from the very beginning of time, there is this pattern that is set up. It's God in relationship with people and people turning their back on God in this, this series of events. I mean, you, starting from the very beginning, Adam and Eve violated what God had, had told them not to do. Don't eat of this one tree. They violated that. And we have God coming in, rescuing them, and making a way for salvation. We see, and I'm, I'm skipping around a whole lot, but we see when Moses went and rescued the people of God from Egypt, and they had this great miracles portrayed before them. When Moses goes up on the mountain, uh, what happens? The people are worshiping God and are excited about what's happening with Moses? No. The people turn their back on God, begin to worship other idols, and there's this punishment and then this restoration. Then we have the people who come into the land, the promised land, and they're just satisfied, right? They're, they're just these satisfied people, and they say, God, rule over us forever. No, we have a people that begin to grumble and complain, and they say, we want a king. God gives them Saul. And king becomes kings. Judah in the south, Israel in the north. And constantly, out of fear, what we see is the people of God turn from the statutes and commandments of God. They turn from the God of the universe and they turn to idols. Literally at times. Sometimes they get scared because of the conquering um, people around them. And so instead of trusting in the Lord, they start to trust in military might and they make alliances with people that God says don't make alliances with. And so this is where we end up so that as we come to this place in this book, 
of Daniel, we have Judah in this place where this is the first of what we call the deportations where the people of God are taken, taken out of Jerusalem and they're brought into the kingdom of the Babylonians. And so what we see here in this first verse is that in the reign, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2 and 3, it's very important that we notice this, that there are three things that are taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. Three things, and two of them are very apparent, but hopefully you'll see all three of them. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Now, what I want you to see, you, you may say, well, there are only two things that I saw. The first thing that, that is here that we sometimes miss is that by besieging Judah and the Lord giving the king of Judah into his hand, the first thing that we see is that government and political power was given to Nebuchadnezzar. So the first thing that was given to him that was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon is control. Governmental control. The second thing that we see is vessels. Think about this. How did these pagans get these vessels, they went into the holy place and took things from the house of God. Notice this. They took these things from the house of God and took them back to Babylon and placed them in the house of their false gods. And thirdly, they took the choice top youth of the day. Uh, it's, it's estimated that Daniel and his three friends were probably 13 to 15 years old at the time. I think what you see here is this would be like um, somebody coming in and taking all of our... Uh, um, a good example would be it, people coming in and taking all of our people from the Naval Academy, from West Point... Uh, taking all these guys that have been identified as these budding and growing leaders of this nature, the future of the nation, and taking them and saying, nope, we're taking you with us. And so get this picture. If the people were hoping and trusting in the government, in, the, in their leaders, that was taken from them. If the people were hoping and, and trusting and thinking that God was going to rescue them, They've seen this example of the, taking these things from the house of the Lord. If the people were hoping and trusting that the future looks good, look at these young men that are going to overcome the idolatry of our nation, that these young men are gone. These were dark times of hopelessness and despair. 
can't even imagine, <laughs> can't even imagine being a, a parent or a leader in Judah during this time. What a time of, of just hopelessness. Now, we're going to continue on in the story. And, and what, what we see next is that Daniel out, uh, lays out for us that now he starts talking about the young men and his experience. And what he's going to lay out for us is that the, the, the Chaldeans, Babylonians, same thing, that what they were doing was they were taking these young leaders, these young, noble, good-looking, handsome, strong men, and they're brainwashing them. And notice how they do this. These are techniques that are even used today. Um, so, so notice how they do this through verses 5 and 7. Again, we're going to point out three things here. It says, The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and wine from which he drank. And notice this. He appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which... They were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, uh, among from them were the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them, and Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, sorry, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. And so the three ways that the Babylonians were trying to brainwash these men is first is they were re-educating them. For three years, they were going to be re-educated. They were going to learn literature. They were going to learn culture. They were going to learn language. And we see the effects of this. If, if you knew the, 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 the book of Daniel was actually written in two different languages, uh, interspersed, but a lot of the words that Daniel uses, um, a lot of those words are reflective of the Babylonian culture. In other words... It's very clear that he was educated along these lines. And, right, this is what we do. That we can change a person by re-educating them to have a view of history that is different from the view that they held growing up. I hate to say it, but this happens today. <laughs> we know that uh, the, the view of history, you know, that th there are movements in and among our day to take certain things out of our history so that our young people can be educated in certain ways. This is what's going on here in the book of Daniel. The second thing that we see is that notice that these young men are fed a certain food and wine from the king's table. Now, what in the world is going on here? And I think the clearest example of this is, is if, if you have somebody... Um, that was, let's say they were uh, raised in a certain social economic uh, class, and let's say they won the lottery, and for 15, 20 years, were eating the finest of foods. <laughs> what happens to the taste buds? <laughs> the taste buds begin to change. And so if they have to go back to the old food, they mourn that. <laughs> so what's going on is that the king is getting them used to this and showing them favor so that they enjoy and desire to be in the king's court and in the king's presence because they get the king's food. Thirdly, thirdly, notice that they get new names. Hananiah, whose name meant the Lord is gracious, now becomes Shadrach. 
which means command of Aku, a Babylonian god. Azariah, whose name meant who is what God is, becomes Abednego, which is who is what Aku is, another Babylonian god. Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, or the Lord has helped, his name, uh, his name becomes servant of Nebo, or may Balak protect. So we see this massive campaign among these young men to pry them away from their culture, their heritage, the one that the God of the universe had set forth, we see this attempt to brainwash them. Now, what's interesting to me, what's interesting here is, as we keep reading, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So here we get the first miracle in the, in the book of Daniel is getting ready to take place. What is interesting to me, and the question that you should be asking yourself is, why is it that it's here that Daniel takes his stand? Why, what is it about the food and eating the food that makes Daniel make a stand? Some of us would say, hey, you're not going to give me a pagan name to some pagan god. Call me Daniel. <laughs> Some of us would say, I'm not going to that re I'm not going to learn that stuff. I'm not going to learn that garbage. I'm sticking to what I know. I think it's very interesting here, and we don't want to press this too far. I think it's clear why he doesn't eat the food, and we'll come to that in a minute. But I think Daniel had confidence in his worldview. I think Daniel had confidence in his education of who his God was. And so I think that Daniel was not going to make a stand on the re-education because Daniel had a filter from which he could view the world and he wasn't going to be shaken. I think Daniel, when they tried to change his name, and along with his three friends, it wasn't going to shake him because Daniel knew who he was. You could call him anything you wanted, but Daniel knew who he was as a child of God. And so in many ways, he didn't care what you called him because he knew what he was. Now, notice the text tells us why he made up his mind that he wouldn't eat the king's choice food, and that is because he didn't want to be defiled. Calling him by a different name wouldn't defile him. Trying to re-educate him and him learning the ways of the Babylonians wouldn't defile him. But him eating this food would defile him. And we know why. If you know your Bible and if you've read the book of Leviticus, we see uh, some of the dietary laws in the Old Testament. And, and what you need to know is that there's nothing um, about shrimp or catfish um, eating that today that is necessarily bad for you. That's not why God said, hey, don't eat those sort of things. What was going on behind the dietary laws of the Old Testament was as food and setting down at the table together uh, was such a big ordeal and was such a prominent place in society, 
that what was going on is that this was one of the ways, and we see other ways, but this was one of the ways that God was setting him, His people apart. Setting them apart in society. And so what God, in setting up this law, said, don't eat of this food. It will defile you. And so what we have Daniel doing here is that Daniel knew the law. Daniel knew the Scripture. And Daniel said, I am not going against my God and His commandment. He followed the other parts of the program, but he was not going to cave here. Now, just a side note, and this is something I think we need to hear. But notice, you can kind of get Daniel's disposition here that he made up his mind that he wouldn't defile himself with king's choice food, but he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He also didn't throw the whole program out. He didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What I see happening with a lot of Christians in this day and age, what I see with a lot of Christians in this day and age, is that they don't have this kind of resolve that Daniel had. That is, I see many Christians, when they're taking a stand in the workplace, or when they're taking a stand against maybe some governmental practice, or something that they become this obstinate, angry, hostile person. That, that maybe they don't like uh, what's going on in this workplace, but because they don't like that, they're going crazy everywhere. And y'all probably know people like this. I could give examples. But what we see with Daniel is that Daniel was going to... And, and I want you to see how God uses him. Daniel took a stand here. But the way that Daniel lived his life, what we see throughout this book, he lived the kind of life that people looked to. The kings respected him. The people around him respected him. That he lived the kind of life that because he took a stand in this way, God was able to use him to be this shining beacon of hope in a difficult, dark time. Now, um, I want you to see the miracle that takes place. And we're going to put our foot on the pedal here um, because it's, it's fairly self-explanatory. And then I want to get to some practical application. But look at the miracle that takes place, starting in verse 9 through verse 20. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, a couple of things you just need to know here. One is that this was a very risky endeavor for a couple of reasons. One is that not only was Daniel rejecting meat, 
But in this day and age, vegetables were commoners' food, were the poor people's food. It's what the poor people ate. And so he was rejecting this whole part of the, of the program, of the brainwashing program. The other thing, in drinking just water, uh, there was a danger there as well. And, and we don't know all of this, but, but, but one of the things that we do know is that one of the common drinks of the time, obviously, was wine. And even, even the common people drank this combination of wine-water. And the thought is, as part of that was the, the microbes and the, the various uh, contaminants that would be within the water that would make you sick, that the alcohol in the wine helped with that. And so here we have Daniel saying, I'm rejecting all of that. And this guy that was head over them had a right to say, Ooh, this is crazy. This is crazy. The king is going to have my head for this. And then we see, after he tested him, that they were fatter than the other people. Now, when we see this, many of you are like, oh, fat. That's not what's going on here. This word here means that it physical in appearance that, that they stood out above the rest. Instead of fat, the modern translation would be buff. They were buffer than the other guys. So, the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. One commentator noted, and I don't think this is true, but this is just a little fun fact, uh, that this overseer must have been real happy because as he was withholding this food, he was just taking it for himself. He might have become fatter the way we think of him. 17, for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and out of them all... Of, out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who, was, who were in all this realm. This is a miracle of God. And God, he is setting up something um, here in the book of Daniel that is wonderful. Now, one of the things that I want you to notice as Daniel is writing this, notice how careful Daniel is, who gets the glory. Look at verse 2. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Did you notice that? The Lord gave him over. Verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commanders and the officials. And then in 17, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of dreams and vision. That the key, the key is that Daniel's God did a miracle here. And the miracle of Daniel's God was going to serve to give hope, hope to a people who find themselves hopeless. And, and I'm 
going to say it here and stake it again over and over and over because I want you to hear this. And you're going to see this over and over and over in the book of Daniel. That Daniel's character was based on his view of God. And his view of God, we're going to see over and over again, is that God is sovereign, He is personal, and He is good. And what I want you to see, and we're going to see this again over and over and over again through this book, how did Daniel know this? And this is important for us to understand. First of all, before Daniel got into trouble, he knew the Word of God. How did Daniel know that if he ate the meat, he would be defiled? Because he knew God's Word. He knew what God's Word said. Now, we don't know. We don't know if that... if the king was trying to make Daniel eat ham every day. We don't know if it was food sacrificed to idols. It could have been a combination of both of those. But what we know is that Daniel knew God's word. And we see this all throughout this book, that before he got into this trouble, he knew God's word and he was able to stand on God's word. The other thing we're going to see, and we don't necessarily see it here, but it's, it's, a, it's a theme of this book, is that Daniel believed in prayer. We're going to see that when Daniel goes to interpret the king's dream, that he asks his three friends, he says, pray for me, brothers. What did Daniel get thrown into the lion's den for? He wasn't going to compromise his prayer life. How, do we, how did, was Daniel able to interpret the dreams and visions? Through his prayer life. Daniel was a man who believed in prayer. And the other thing that Daniel believed in that we see in this passage is he believed in fellowship. We see over and over again Daniel talking about these three friends and the encouragement that they give one another. Now, one of the coolest things that I think that uh, Daniel does here is this, the end of this chapter, Daniel's getting ready to to jump into the, the rest of this account. But notice this verse, verse 21. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Now, what we know historically is that there were three deportations. There were three times that people were taken from Judah into captivity into uh, Babylonia. Do you know what started happening under the reign, the, the reign of Cyrus the king? Do you remember? This was when the people were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. Really interesting that Daniel, at the beginning of his book, is pointing us to the faithfulness, the sovereignty, the personal relationship of this God, and that this God is a God of hope. God does not abandon His people. God is faithful to His Word even when the culture around us us, collapses. Now I want to, towards an ending, I want to challenge us with a couple things. Some of you may be here and you're going through a difficult time in your life. 
And, and one of the things that I want you to think about this morning, and I want to challenge you on this morning, is I want to ask you this. You may be here and you may feel like that all hope is lost. That when you look at your situation, that you can point to all these facets of your life that seem to have crumbled and it seems hopeless. And what I want you to see, what I want you to see from Daniel, what I want you to see from our sovereign Lord of the universe is what God would have you to do is to look to Him this morning. And when you look to God this morning, what you're going to see is that God has performed, if you're a believer, God has performed the most miraculous event ever in your life. You see, here in the book of Daniel, what they're trusting in is they're trusting in in that God will make a way. God will stay faithful to His Word. God will preserve His people. We don't know how. We don't know what this path is going to look like. But we're trusting God. It's interesting to me that in the book of Daniel, um, not interesting, it just makes total sense when you really get to the themes of the book of Daniel, that you've got all this weird prophecy at the end. Because the weird prophecy at the end is telling us that Jesus wins. What we see, if we're here this morning, and you're a child of God, I want you to see that Jesus has done Two things in your life. Number one, He has won. Meaning, His death has conquered your sin. You are no longer in your sin. So you have every reason to be hopeful this morning. Because you're not facing, you're not facing eternity on your own. You're facing eternity based on the blood of Jesus Christ in your life. And that should give us hope and courage this morning. The second thing, if you're here and you're hopeless and you're despairing, is that you need to know that Christ wins in the end. And so as we live our lives in this tough world with tough circumstances, we are to lift our eyes towards Christ, know that He has our future in His hands, He will hold us, He will sustain us, and it is our job today by day to lay down our burdens, to give our burdens to Him, and to live a life, to live a life in joyful service to Him, knowing that we win. And I want you to draw courage from that this morning. Now, the other thing that I want you to know this morning, and as we're heading into VBS, you know, I want, Daniel was 13 to 15 years old. I want our young people to know this. We are called as Christians to live as aliens and strangers in this land. This home is not our home. And so, I want to ask some questions. Are there things about the way that you do life which are countercultural? If there are not, there's a problem. I want to read a quote to you out of a, actually a book that uh, Damon gave me. It's great. I do recommend it. I'm not too terribly far into it, but it's called A Parent Privilege. You get that? Um, by Steve Wright and Chris Graves. But he, he's quoting some research, and he says this. David Kinneman, vice president of one of the largest Christian research organizations, 
writes that the moral decision for today's generation are most often made by whatever feels comfortable or whatever causes the least amount of conflict. He also writes, note this, in virtually every study we conduct, representing thousands of interviews every year, born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. Most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians are statistically equivalent to those of non-born-agains. When asked to identify their activities over the last 30 days, born-again believers were just as likely to bet or gamble, visit pornographic websites, take something that didn't belong to them, consult a medium or psychic, to physically fight or abuse someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have used an illegal non-prescription drug, or to have said something about someone that was not true. No difference. Our culture is trying to re-educate us. (laughs) Are you trusting in God? Are you looking to God as your source of hope? Are you looking to God as the one who gives you life and sustains you and calls you to live in a certain way? Or are you looking to culture? How do you cope with the brokenness and sin that's all around you? What truths are you clinging to? Do you know the Word of God? Is the Word of God in you? If you are here and and in the midst of hopelessness and despair, Psalm 46 is a great thing to memorize. It's a great thing to memorize. It's a great thing to have deep within you. Do we believe in the God of Daniel? Do you believe that God is at work? Do you believe that God personally cares about you? Do you believe that God is good and has a plan and that plan is going to be fulfilled? Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, I pray that this study in the book of Daniel will show us how great this God, the God of Daniel, is. And I pray that at home, at church, at work, out in public, that people who come in contact with us would sense and smell the aroma of Christ in us. That they would see that there's something different. And that like these foreign pagan kings, they just might get a glimpse of who this big, great God is. And they just might lay down their life in service to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I just want to repent in my own life of times of despair and times of darkness, the unbelief that creeps up within my soul, the unbelief of your power and your strength, your purpose, your sovereignty, your love, your graciousness, your mercy. 
God, I would just pray that as we go through this book of Daniel, that God, that you would just enlarge our vision of who you are. And God, I pray that you would just make us overjoyed that because of your Son, that we, a pagan far-off people, have been and can be brought into a relationship with you so that you become our God and we become your people. A people, a people in whom you love, a people in whom you cherish, and a people in whom you are fitting for eternity. God, I pray that we would be a joyful, hopeful people. We pray for all of this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, um, we 